Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I hope that you have been reading through the Bible. This week you're going to be reading through 1 Corinthians. The letter to the Corinthians was written by Paul while he was still in Ephesus, part of his three-year stay in Ephesus. In Roman times, the city was notorious for wealth and indulgence. The phrase to live as a Corinthian meant to live in luxury and immorality. It was a seaport town, so there were all kinds of nationalities that came there, and it offered just about every human device that you can imagine. If you've ever been to Corinth, up above the city or right beside the city is a really tall, high hill, mountain, whatever you want to call it. Up on top was called the Acro-Corinth. And that is where a lot of pagan worship was taking place. The temple of Aphrodite was there. It had a thousand priestesses, I guess you would call them, who were basically prostitutes. They engaged in prostitution, the pagan worship. The city of Corinth had about 200,000 people. They also had about 500,000 slaves. And there was a church there that Paul helped start. You might remember and you'll read about Aquila and Priscilla. They're from Corinth. And there was a church that began there and Paul had not been there in a long time, but the church began to mirror the society in which it lived and existed. They allowed their previous pagan ideas and habits to come into the church. And you've got to be careful when you're reading 1 Corinthians to gain so much different kinds of doctrines because some of it is correcting a problem that was going on at the time in Corinth. You see, they had substituted human wisdom for God's wisdom, chapters 1 and 2. There were factions in the church in chapters 1 and chapter 3. They were immoral in chapter 5. They were suing one another in chapter 6. In in chapter uh, 7, they had confused and perverted ideas about marriage and divorce and celibacy. Chapter 10, they were self-indulgent. They were indifferent to the welfare of other people. In chapter 12 through 14, they misunderstood all of their spiritual gifts Chapter 13, they were not loving. The congregation was divided. Sin was rampant. Order was lacking. Selfishness was visible. Doctrines held by the church were problematic. And to put it bluntly, that place was in a mess. And so Paul wrote to them, trying to correct them, trying to straighten them out in certain areas. And Even though it was a place of sin and selfishness and spiritual confusion, he was calling the church members to come to a place to be a light in a world of darkness, to engage the culture, to make a difference in the culture, not be like the culture, but to make a difference in the culture. 
Today, I want us to read out of the last chapter, chapter 16, two simple verses, and yet they are a capsule of what he has been telling them all these other 15 chapters. Not in detail, obviously, but some of the things he was writing to correct, now he states positively, and you can almost hear the military tone because it is written in such a way that it's military language. It's not suggestions. It's, they are commands. They are in present tense, which means they continuously are to go on. We're supposed to continuously do that. And you can almost hear the commander telling the soldiers before they go into battle, this is what you need to do. And folks, we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual war. And so to, God, to live godly, we are to do these same very things in a culture that is turning its back further and further from God. Look what he says. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, let all that you do be done with love. Life is hard sometimes, isn't it? It's not getting any easier. Two students from a Baptist seminary in Alabama one summer decided they would spend their summer doing evangelistic work. Now, if you've ever been in the Southeast, all of those Southern states in the summer with the humidity and the no wind, it's a good time to preach on hell. you definitely get their attention because you, you have object lessons all around you. But one day, these two young seminary students stopped their car in front of a farmhouse out of town, outside of Montgomery, and they proceeded up a path that was basically a gauntlet of screaming children and barking dogs. And when they knocked on the screen door, the screen door, the house didn't have any air conditioning. They walked up on the porch, they knocked on the screen door. There was a woman of the house who was scrubbing over a wash tub and a washboard. She heard the knock, she brushed her hair, brushed her perspiration from her brow and asked them what they wanted. And they said, we would like to tell you how to obtain eternal life. The tired homemaker hesitated for a moment, looked around her and said, you know, thank you, but I just don't think I could handle it. Life gets hard. Some days are better than others, and some of you may be going through a very difficult time today. But in these verses, Paul gives some imperatives to even though the culture around you may be different and difficult, these are the things that we're supposed to be. The verbs are, like I mentioned to you, they're present tense. They're not suggestions. He said, you are a soldier of Christ. You are a follower of Jesus. You're the light in a world of darkness. Here's what you need to do in order to continue being a light in a dark world to live a godly life. The first thing you'll notice is the consciousness of believers. Watch. Be on the alert. The word Gregorio means to be awake, to be vigilant, to be alive. It's used 22 times in the New Testament. Wake up, be alive. 
Sometimes I need to say that in church. Wake up and be alive. You see, the Corinthian church, they were spiritually in a stupor. They were indifferent. They had become listless. The Corinthians seemed normally to be in that moral stupor, and sometimes they were in a physical stupor. You're going to read it earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You're going to see they were even drunk at the, at the Lord's table. They had all kinds of problems. And if you're going to live a godly life in this society, you must stay alert. You've got to stay awake, spiritually speaking. The scriptures tell us, the New Testament tells us, at least six things we're going to be watching for. First of all is Satan himself. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be alert, be vigilant, because your adversary, notice he didn't say a adversary, he says your. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan knows the tricks. He knows the things that can bring you down. And if you're not careful, the smallest thing can do that. Any of you ever been to Niagara Falls? It's impressive. It's impressive. There's a lot of water running over that ledge. In 1911, a man by the name of Bobby Leach decided he was going to go off of it. Now, why anybody would want to do that, I have no clue. But they made a special steel barrel, and in 1911, Bobby Leach goes over that thing. And he had a few minor injuries, but he survived to talk about it. Several years later, while walking down the street in New Zealand... He slipped on an orange peel and broke his leg severely. They took him to the hospital. Infection set in and he died. Here's the man that went over Niagara Falls because the foaming temptations, kind of like temptations, big things, we're prepared for that. And he prepared to go over Niagara Falls because he had a barrel specially made for it. But then walking down the street, you don't expect to slip on an orange peel and break a leg and die. There are a lot of great temptations that roar around us like Niagara Falls. And some of those you think, well, that'll never happen to me and probably won't because there are some things you just can't be tempted to do because you're just wary of them. You know about them. But what about those little things that you're not conscious about? You see, nobody gets up in the, in the morning and says, today I'm gonna rebel against God. It doesn't usually happen that way. It usually happens gradually. How do affairs happen? Nobody gets up one day and says, I'm going to have an affair. No, they happen gradually. You start talking. You start doing things with somebody that you normally shouldn't be doing, even though it may seem innocent at the time, and then it, it grows into something that it shouldn't. Nobody becomes an alcoholic in one day. Happens over a period of time. It's just a little thing. It's just one drink. You understand what I'm saying here? If you're not awake, if you're not alert, these little things will be what brings you down. An old Missouri farmer used to go over his field the day before he started plowing. This is in the days before modern machinery. 
He would kill off all the rattlesnakes before he ever started plowing. And they asked him, well, isn't that a dangerous thing to do? And he said, I reckon so, but if I don't kill them critters today when I'm looking, they're apt to get me tomorrow when I ain't looking. That's exactly what we're talking about. Be careful, folks. Be careful where you go. Be careful what you read. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you watch. The second thing is temptation. Mark 13, 38. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Some things you won't be tempted. Some things you will. The temptations are always there. Did you know it's not a sin to be tempted? Y'all got that? Jesus was tempted. The problem is when you succumb to it, when you yield to it. Little boy wanted to buy a pair of rollerblades, but his parents wanted to teach him responsibility. And so they said, you're going to have to save your allowance. Well, he'd been saving his allowance for several weeks and she happened to be close to his room and he was shaking his piggy bank or his bank and counting his money and then she heard the ice cream truck coming down the road. <laughs> so she wanted to see what would happen because he really did like ice cream. Well, there was no sound from the room. Nothing happened. He didn't come out. No sound from the room until the bell of the ice cream truck was out of, out of sound. I mean, he couldn't hear it anymore. And then she heard him praying, Dear Jesus, please don't let the ice cream truck come down my street anymore. <laughs> Temptation. True story, Continental Cablevision of Madison Heights, Michigan. This was a long time ago. They had some trouble with their switching equipment. And accidentally, it resulted in X-rated programming being fed into the homes of many subscribers who had never ordered that. The alarm was sounded by a scandalized customer who called a local radio station and said, it was really awful. We saw it for four hours. <laughs> temptation it's all around you it's everywhere be careful be alert you also watch for false for excuse me for apathy and indifference the church at Sardis Jesus said these things says he who has the seven stars I know your works that you have a name that you're alive but you're dead be watchful and strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Folks, we can get so indifferent to the things around us and we think there's nothing wrong. You gotta wake up and not become apathetic and not uncaring and indifferent. Become a church that may be going through the motions but doesn't really care about lost people. It doesn't care about missions. It doesn't care about missionaries or church plants. It doesn't care about the gospel saving people. We become indifferent. We can become indifferent to our own sin. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it is. A fourth thing is false teachers. 2 Peter 2, 1 says, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you 
who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. See, there's the key. According to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. False teachers. Don't ever take anything you hear at face value. Check it with the word of God. I I challenge you every week. If I ever teach anything that's wrong, I want you to tell me but you better be able to back it up with the word of God. Not that I'm perfect and that I'm always right. 99.99% I'm always right. No, I'm kidding you. You know that. But seriously, folks, just because somebody says they're a preacher or somebody says they got this and they start to tell you something, you're going to go, wait a minute, that doesn't necessarily sound right. You know why? The Holy Spirit will teach you all truth. The Holy Spirit will say, uh-uh, that's not right. It's not right. It sounds good, and you may like the way it sounds, but it's not right. You've got to be watching for false teachers. Just because somebody's got charisma about them and just so somebody can make it sound appealing, go to God's Word and look at it. We're also to watch and pray. Now, this is the positive side of Mark 14, 38. Jesus said, continually watch, continually pray. Stay in tune with the Lord. Accountability is a good thing. Stay in tune. The Holy Spirit can guide you in those areas to be alert, to be watching. And finally, we're watching for the Lord's return. James 5, 7 says, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Later on in that same chapter, James even says he's already standing at the door. So make sure you don't grumble against one another. You be watching. You're looking for the Lord's return. Matthew 24, 42, Jesus said, watch therefore for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming You're looking. You don't walk around in fear, but you walk around noticing things. Have you ever been in a place where you knew somebody was going to jump out and scare you? Y'all ever been in that situation? You know somebody's hiding and you know they're going to scare you. You're alert. That's the picture here. You're watching. I'm looking at every opportunity I'm looking at. How does this affect my walk with Christ? Am I going to compromise here? You have ever seen those guys in the sport of falconry? They have those falcons that will fly and hunt. And the thing about a falcon, these, these educated predators, I guess you call them, they, when they're allowed to fly, sometimes they get up so high you can't see them. They used to have a little cage with a, a bird called a shrike. S-H-R-I-K-E, not Shrek, but Shrike. A little bird because a shrike 
is deathly afraid of a falcon. And they're going to be keeping their eyes on him all the time. And so they would hold this little bird in the cage and they would watch his head and wherever his head was turning, they knew where that falcon was, even though they couldn't see it. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Sometimes he dwells in places we can't see him. Sometimes he deceives. Sometimes he subtly camouflages himself against a beautiful background of exciting things. But you need to be careful. If you're not on guard, his presence is hard to, hard to detect. Be awake. The second thing is to be consistent. The consistency to be faithful. Stand fast in the faith. It doesn't say stand fast in your faith. In the faith. You see, Satan cannot take away your salvation, your faith in Jesus Christ. He can't take that away. But this is more about the faith of truth. The truth of God's word. The faith. Stand fast in it. Sometimes he obscures it. Sometimes he muddies the water of God's sound of doctrine. We put human philosophy and we put all kinds of human wisdom and it clouds those scriptural principles. You gotta study God's word. It means to have spiritual convictions and stick with them. Regardless of what the government says, regardless of what society says, regardless of the spiritual convictions based on God's word, you can't have a foot in both worlds. Reminds me of a guy who went to a major league baseball game. Didn't matter what team hit, hit a home run or scored, he stood up and cheered, both sides. Finally, the people around him got aggravated. Whose side are you on? Why are you cheering for both sides? And he said, well, I live way out in the country. I don't get to many games, so I pull for both sides. That way, no matter who wins, I go home happy. <laughs> you cannot do that in this world. You cannot take in human philosophy and God's word, especially when human philosophy violates God's word. I don't understand. I do not understand how people can compromise on certain issues in this society that are flagrantly stated in God's word. Life, for example, is sacred. I want you to think about something. This is a rabbit. I'm not going this far with it. When a life is created, it never ceases to exist. Never. It's sacred. That's all I'm going to say. Stand fast in the faith. Don't compromise. I, I, I'm, I'm beginning to feel like a dinosaur. Don't tell me I look like one. <laughs> During a practical exercise at a military police base, the instructor was giving the class instructions on how to defend yourself when you're not armed. 
your unarmed self-defense. And after presenting a number of different situations in which they might find themselves, he asked one student, what steps would you take if someone were coming at you with a sharp knife? And he said, big ones. <laughs> There's a lot of people like that. When it comes right down to it, they run off. You're not going to be popular when you stand on God's word. I'm not talking about being ugly. We're going to get to that to the end. We're not going to be rude about it. But don't compromise be consistent. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We're not going to move. We're not going to move off the gospel. There's only one way to be saved. God said it. That settles it whether people believe it or not. It's, we're immovable. The third thing is the courage of believers. Be brave. Act like men. Quit you like men. The idea is of mature courage. Do you remember when you were little and you were afraid? Who did you run to? Your mom or your dad? Because after all, they're not scared. They're not scared, are they? Well, at least you thought they weren't. But then as you mature and you get older, you still have fear, but you, you're, you're, you know that it's different. For example, when you were small, you were afraid of thunder. And how many times did your parents say, thunder can't hurt you? Well, now you know. You're adults. It's still loud. You gotta be afraid of the lightning. But thunder, thunder's never killed anybody. But you're, got a, you're more mature, yet your kids run up to you when it's thunder. Dad, Mom, help me. And there's nothing to be afraid of. It's a mature courage. That's what this means. You, you grow and you mature. And you believe in God's promises and you don't think that God's going to, and you, and you, you believe that God's not going to fail. You, his, his promises are not going to fail. He's going to come through. A man was going to cross the river that was frozen over. It was iced. And he didn't know how thick the ice was. So he got down on his hands and knees to try to proportionally spread out his weight. Actually, he laid down and he's scooting across the ice, trying to, hoping and praying that the ice won't break. And he's just about to the other side when a man and a horse drawn sleigh full of iron comes trotting by him up on the land. Here he is worried about breaking the ice and you've got a horse full of, a horse pulling a, tr a cart full of iron. You see, you, a lot of Christians, they tremble at every step thinking God's not gonna come through and, and that, that God won't hold on to me and I'm not gonna make it and all that and yet it's as solid as it can be. You don't have to be afraid. Yeah, the world looks bad at times, but I don't tell you. I've read the end of the book. I know who wins. So do you. Don't be afraid. I'm going to tell you this ridiculous story. Ed and Joe were enjoying themselves at the circus. 
They came to a cage that had a ferocious tiger in it. This thing was growling, baring his teeth. And all of a sudden, while they were standing there looking at this cage, a young lady came up, had one of those sequined outfits on with a cape, and she walked up to the door. She dropped the cape. She stepped inside the cage, and, and, and Ed and Joe couldn't believe it. And they watched as the tiger stared at the young lady and was getting ready to pounce on her, and she just pointed her finger and said, Sit. That tiger sat. She pointed and said, Crawl. That tiger crawled all the way over to her. And they continued to watch her. They were awed by what they were seeing. The young lady stuck out her hand. That tiger licked her hand. And then she bent down and that tiger licked her on the cheek. And Ed turned to Joe and he said, man, I cannot believe how brave she is. I wouldn't do that for anything in the world. And Joe said, I would. And Ed said, you're absolutely out of your mind. You're crazy. He said, no, I would. I would. You get that tiger out of there and I'll show you how I can do that. You don't have to be afraid. <laughs> you want a wonderful experience sometime, take a concordance and your New Testament and look up the words, but God. And you're going to find scriptures where human resources have been brought to an end, despair has gripped their hearts, and gloom has settled upon a people, and then you'll see the term, but God. You're going to see how the Spirit of God in brilliant letters changes the whole situation into victory. But God, you don't have to be afraid. It also talks about being strong, the control of believers. The word means to be strengthened. It is a passive voice, which means you receive the action. You don't strengthen yourself. You receive the strength. You have God's spirit in you. There's times you're going to be afraid. But you have the power of God in you to stand. Even in times when other people may ridicule you, other people may make fun of you, other people may not agree with you, and you don't have to be ugly about it, but you stand saying, I know what God's word says. I'm not going to compromise. Sometimes you have to do some hard things. You do. You, you can't just be a passive believer. There are times when you've got to stand up and say, no, this is wrong, or this is, yes, this is right. We're going to stand for the truth. I love the story about Mike Collin, who was a linebacker for the Miami Dolphins and a graduate of Auburn University. His former, high, his former college coach, Suge, Gordon, Suge Jordan, asked him if he would do some recruiting for him. And Mike said, well, sure, coach. What kind of player are you looking for? And the coach said, well, Mike, you know there's that fellow. You knock him down and he just stays down. Mike said, yeah. Coach said, we don't want him. <laughs> and then there's that fellow. You knock him down and he gets up, but you knock him down again and he stays down. And Mike answered, we don't want him either, do we, coach? Coach said, no. But Mike, there's a fellow, you knock him down, he gets up, you knock him down, he gets up, you knock him down, he gets up, you knock him down, he gets up. Mike said, that's the guy, isn't it, coach? And he said, no, we want the guy that's knocking everybody else down. <laughs> we're not going to knock anybody down, but we're not going to back up and we're not going to compromise, especially when it comes to the word of God. And folks, there's going to come a time in your life, trust me, you're going to take a stand, you're going to have to be strong and say, 
I draw the line right here because God's word says this. You gotta be strong. Now, if all you are is courageous and consistent and you have um, the, the courage and, and you, um, you're alert, you're brave, you're strong, if that is all you have, then you're gonna be a crusty, militant, hard person. That's why the fifth thing is really the most comprehensive command. In verse 14, he says, let all that you do be done with love. You see the compassion that God has put in our hearts. We're not ugly, mean people. In fact, nothing hurts Christian testimony and cause more than discourteous, impulsive rudeness. We're not supposed to be that way. We can be strong and yet we can still be kind. We don't have to compromise, but if I don't compromise, I don't have to be rude about somebody who doesn't agree with me. I just pray for them. But see, when, you, when God puts his spirit in you, one of the fruits of the spirit is love, compassion. Why do we even care about other people? I mean, just think about it. We've, we've got everything we need right here. We've got everything we need right here. So why do we even care that there are people out here without Jesus? After all, you got it made. You've been saved. You're going to heaven. So why do you even care about anybody else? I'll tell you why. Because God lives in you and he loves people and you can't help it. You're gonna love other people. So there comes a time when you stand strong, but you don't have to be ugly about it. A church usher was instructing a new young man who was gonna be in a church usher, and he said, and remember my boy, we have nothing but good, kind Christians in this church until you try to seat someone else in their pew. <laughs> Kindness, it's not an artificial niceness or an unreal feeling or weakness. Kindness is a spiritual grace that flows from spiritual strength and maturity. As you grow in the Lord, the more loving you become. You can be loving and not compromise. How else are we going to share with the world that God loves them? There's a fine line in there. I mean, you're, we're living in a culture that's as bad, if not worse, than the Corinthian culture. Every kind of sexual vice was rampant in Corinth. I don't know that they had as far as we've gone as a nation, but probably close. And yet, Paul says, you're far outnumbered but you're still that light in a world of darkness. You may be the only light in your place of business. You may be the light in your family. You're the only believer in your family. You may be the only believer in your neighborhood or in your school class or whatever. Paul said, always be on guard. Don't allow your, to any place in your life to compromise. Stand in the faith, the truth of God's word. Don't be intimidated. Be brave. You've got a mature faith. You know where you're going. 
That's why every time Chicken Little tells us that the world is coming to an end in society and in the media, we don't go running around like the world's coming to an end. Why? Because we know how it's going to end, don't we? I'm just going to stop. I could go so many places, but here's what I want you to know. You can't do any of this without knowing Jesus. Religious people can't do this. There are religious people all around killing people. There are religious people all around. Religious, some of the most religious people on earth bomb innocent people and blow up people and do things in the name of their religion has nothing to do with God. You can be religious and not be able to do this. But when you know Jesus as your Savior, he changes everything. You know what he does? You're dead spiritually. The first thing that happens when you receive him, his spirit wakes you up, brings life into your life. You begin to see things spiritually. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, it's back there in about chapter 2 or 3, you're going to see that only spiritually, only a, per, a carnal man, a person without Christ, a natural man cannot discern anything spiritually. That's why Hollywood never gets it right when they try to describe a Christian or they try to describe heaven. Hollywood never gets it right, ever. Because it takes a Christian to know what spiritual things are about. And if you don't know Jesus... You can know him right now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray today for those who at the sound of my voice, whether they're watching online, they see this on television, they know, they know that they don't have Jesus in their life. They've gone to church. They, went, they were religious. They've done things, but they don't know Jesus as their Savior. So Lord, today, we pray that you will invite them to turn from their sin, come to you. You died on the cross, you were buried, you rose again the third day. <laughs> we place our faith and trust in you, you give us life. I pray people would come to you today, Lord. On this weekend, when we think of Memorial Day, we think of those who gave their life for our nation. But Lord, you gave your life for our salvation. That we might be free from our sin and condemnation. I pray for those that need a church home. Lord, you bring so many precious, godly, generous, faithful, loving people to this congregation. Thank you for your continued support and, and bringing folks to you. We've, we're thankful, Lord, that, that five people today have been baptized because they've given their life to you. I pray for those that need to be baptized, that they would see how significant it is. It doesn't save you, but it's not optional. I pray, God, you give people courage to respond to you today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. 
You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.